It's a great honor to be here again today after 25 years. My, how time flies, doesn't it? I have a lot of memories standing up here today. I, I remember that it took me almost six months to learn that when you entered at the office area up here, you were actually on the fourth floor and not the first. Have you ever tried to operate an elevator when you don't know what... You know, you think you're on the first floor and you're on the fourth. My mind almost exploded multiple times in those first months. I remember baptizing my two daughters right up in that baptistry. I remember preaching a series of sermons called The Gospel According to Gump, and some of you might remember some of those. I remember starting with you the Thanksgiving luncheons that we started there for the community and the goal was to provide a lunch for anyone that day who didn't have a family member to share it with and we extended that then to first responders whatever that particular job might be and I understand you're still doing that and what a great ministry that was that we were able to start together and I remember that. I remember the Christmas Eve services in the Capitol Rotunda that we did for several years there together. And what a great experience that was as people across the community would join us there. I remember one Sunday coming out into the baptistry to baptize some new believers in Jesus. And I think it was maybe the second or third baptismal that I did. And when I walked out into the baptistry dressed in the appropriate attire, and I looked out and the congregation started laughing. And I thought, well, do I have something on my face? And then I happened to glance down and the back row of the choir, I saw a full row of black umbrellas looking up at me. <laughs> Apparently, I was a pretty aggressive baptizer. <laughs> and in at least one of those early baptisms, I had apparently sloshed some water over the side. And it had splashed on the back row. I think the back row was all men, if my memory serves me correctly. And they had decided they were going to solve the problem of the aggressive baptizer. And so they brought black umbrellas and there was a whole row of black umbrellas there. Great memories. And I could go on and on with memories some sad, some glad, some just plain funny. And so it's with real gratitude that I stand here today and that we have Melody here uh, with me today that we can share some of those memories again and see some faces that we might recognize. It's a little more difficult with masks on in these trying and difficult times. But thank you for the opportunity. It's an honor to stand here in this pulpit again I served as kind of a six-year bridge between Nelson Duke and Doyle Sager. And it's an honor to be in this little two-by-two space again and, and seek by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit to say something that perhaps might encourage or convict or whatever the need might be. It's an honor to be here. And we pray for you and continue to pray for you as you continue to grieve the loss of your beloved pastor. Now I ask you to turn with me to the words from Scripture today from 2 Timothy 4. And we'll read beginning in verse 9 to verse 13 and then we'll skip down to verse 19 and read through verse 22. 
The Apostle Paul, writing these words to Timothy, said this. He said, be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Antichius I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, and especially the parchments. And then in verse 19, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Would you join me as we pray? Our Lord, we ask now that your spirit might be with us, through us, and among us. And that the words of Paul might resonate across the centuries to this specific place in this specific moment. And that we might hear the word, a word. And that that word might convict us or encourage us, inspire us, and guide us. For we pray it in your precious and holy name. Amen. Now I know it might make very little sense to bring a message entitled, Come Before Winter, in the middle of August. I mean, after all, we can walk outside and feel the heat. It's like wearing a fur coat in a desert in a steam bath with long john underwear. It's hot. So why in the world would we bring a message called Come Before Winter? Well, let's let the background of the text that we just read perhaps answer that question for us. You see, Paul wrote these words when it was also hot. He's in Rome, in prison. He wrote it, no doubt, before winter came. After all, he was saying, come before winter. He wrote it when the sun beat down on the flowers and the villas of the wealthy families of Rome. He wrote it when the earth parched under the heat of the sun in the Colosseum of Rome. He wrote it from a prison cell, no, no doubt hot, stiflingly so, in his little corner of the world in a prison where the Romans were he- holding him. He wrote it under tough conditions, this letter. Slept on a hard dirt floor, no doubt, meager food, fetid water. Not a wonderful circumstance at all, but a heart, a hard Difficult circumstance. It wasn't exactly the Ritz in Kansas City or St. Louis. There wasn't a chocolate mint on a pillow anywhere to be found. He wrote these words in the summer. Tough conditions. But that wasn't the worst of the circumstances for Paul. The conditions weren't the most difficult thing he had to face. So what was the most difficult thing he had to face? Well, if you go back to verse 6... 
Paul knew, as he wrote in verse 6, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. And he wasn't talking about a flight to Vegas or Los Angeles or New York. The time of my departure is at hand. He knew that his days were numbered. The Roman jailers had already convicted him. They had already sentenced him to death. And he knew already that he would die come the next spring after the winter. So he wrote these words to Timothy saying, come before winter. He had said earlier, he had said, do your utmost to come quickly. And he repeated the phrase, do your utmost to come before winter. You may recall from your own studies of scriptures who Timothy was, a young man. In our terminology today, we would probably call it a mentor-mentee relationship. But he went deeper than that. Paul spoke with great affection for Timothy, with great love for Timothy. And so he wrote this letter to someone he cared about deeply. And he actually wrote them, if you recall, months before Timothy would actually receive them. Remember how things were in those days. To send this letter, no phone call available, no email, no text, no Facebook, no Zoom or Skype, none of those available. So how did he get the letter to him? Well, he had to hand the letter to a messenger, a friend. That messenger then had to leave Rome and go south to the Adriatic Sea. And then that messenger had to go from the Adriatic Sea on across the Mediterranean Sea. And then he had to journey to Ephesus, which is in what is the modern-day Turkey. It was 1,299 miles of sheer peril and potential danger. It was not exactly a science travel in those days, getting a message to someone in those days. So Paul wrote this letter. And then on the chance that someone crossed that 1,299 miles and got the letter to Timothy, then what did Timothy have to do? Timothy had to retrace those steps. He had to retrace those steps. Go get Mark. Go get my cloak. Go get the books. Go get the parchments. Get all of that and come back to me and retrace your steps. And do it before winter. Because you see, that's what Paul feared the most. That winter would come. And that Timothy would not be able to get there before winter. And that he would die early in the next year and never see Timothy again. So he wrote the words. Come before winter. Written in the midst of the summer season. Come before I die. Come before the sea lanes shut down. Because you see, that's what happened on the Adriatic or the Mediterranean. The winter storms came. And when the winter storms came, you didn't want to be on the water in one of those ships in those days. So he said, come before the sea lanes close. Come before the opportunity passes. Come so that I might put my arms around you again and hold you close to my side. Come so that we might share friendship 
and affection and encouragement and inspiration from one another. Come before winter, before the opportunity flees, never to be seen or experienced again. Do we hear the urgency of Paul's words? Do your utmost to come before the sea lanes close, before winter descends. Years ago, in a previous church, I went to the hospital to visit a man who the doctor had already prescribed those most difficult words to hear, terminal illness. The man had almost no family, no friends. He had lived a difficult life. And as I sat in the room and talked with him, I did what I typically did in circumstances like that. I asked him if there was anything that he wanted to say or anything that he needed to confess before he moved through to the final passage of the great mystery of the beyond. And as we sat there, he told me a story as he lay there and I sat. He was a veteran of World War II, you see. And one day he and his unit were on patrol and they came upon some German soldiers and a battle ensued and when the battle was over they had captured some German soldiers and they were taking these German soldiers back to the back lines for the prison encampment. And they stopped to rest and get some water and as they stopped they sat the German soldiers down and one of his friends, the man telling me the story, one of his friends walked by a German soldier and the German soldier kicked out with a boot and without thinking in an automatic response the man telling the story pulled a pistol and shot the German soldier and killed him. And he told me with tears in his eyes, he said, I have shot that German soldier every day and every night of my life since then. And he said, I wish I had talked to somebody about it a long, long time ago. But he never had. And now he was in his last hours. And the opportunity to perhaps change his life in a different direction, to remove the, the guilt, to remove the struggle that had come from that, that opportunity had fled, never to return again. The opportunity shut down, the sea lanes closed, winter descended, And the opportunity was no more. Now, I don't know any of your circumstances today. Certainly, I hope nothing as dramatic as that particular gentleman. But still, I need to say this, not to create any kind of pessimism, but hopefully to encourage us. Reflect one of life's great realities. And that reality is winter comes to all of us. Sea lanes close. Storms blow. Opportunity flees. It's one of the great truths of life. Opportunities come to us to offer friendship to someone who needs a friend, to offer encouragement to someone who needs encouragement, to offer forgiveness for someone who needs forgiveness, to receive forgiveness ourselves when we need forgiveness, to encourage the discouraged, to communicate to someone who feels unlovable, to embrace the, un the unembraceable, to worship the God who loves us. 
I could go on and on and on with the litany of these opportunities that come to us. But I think we get the picture. Opportunities in our lives. Opportunities arise to do what should be done and to say what should be said. But then winter comes, storms blow, sea lanes close. Did you know that 12 book publishing companies rejected J.K. Rowling with her stories that became the hotter Harry Potter books? Boy, don't you know those 12 publishing companies sure wish they had not missed that opportunity that came to them? Did you know that in 1962, Decca Records auditioned the Beatles for a potential recording contract and didn't sign them to a contract? Don't you know they rue the day that they missed that opportunity? Did you know that there were three men who actually started Apple, Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and Ronald Wayne? We probably know the name, of course, of Jobs, and maybe you know the name of Wozniak. Well, Ronald Wayne, one of the first three, wrote the partnership agreement, created the first logo, wrote the manual for the first Apple computer. But then you know what he did? He sold his shares for $800. You know what those shares are worth in today's dollars? $55 billion. Don't you know he rused the day that he let that opportunity pass him by? And again, we don't have opportunities like that, but opportunities are there. So how do we make sure we don't miss those opportunities? How do we make sure that we grab and act? Well, it's a pretty simple answer. We have to recognize the opportunities, and then we have to do something about them. We recognize them, and then act on them. You probably know the old story. If you have, just forgive me for telling it again. Flood rising. A man on top of his house as the flood gets higher. And he's praying. He's praying, God, save me. Well, a life jacket floats by. He just watches it go. And he thinks, I'll not take that life jacket. God's going to save me. A few minutes later, a rowboat comes by, and the people in it offer him, get in. Water's getting higher, and he says, no, God's going to save me. A few minutes later, a helicopter comes, a ladder drops from the helicopter. Get on, take the ladder. No, God's going to save me. Well, the waters rose. He drowned. He goes to stand before St. Peter at the pearly gates and our images. And he says, what happened? God didn't save me. St. Peter says, what are you talking about? God sent you a life jacket, a lifeboat, and a helicopter. But he didn't take any of them. You see, the opportunities come. But we have to see them, acknowledge them, and take them. That's the only way to make sure that we receive these opportunities and that we act on these opportunities so that these opportunities are never passed over. I know that's easier said than done. 
Life is so busy. The phone is so interesting. The job is so demanding. Social media is so engrossing. There's so many reasons where we keep our heads down instead of our eyes up. So many experiences where we're so focused on this that we don't see that. And these holy moments come. These holy opportunities come. But life pulls us into its busy days and the opportunities, if we're not careful, can flee. So Paul said, come before winter. And so that's the message today, is to look around you, to the people around you, husbands and wives, recognize the opportunities with each other, to appreciate one another, to serve one another. Parents and children, recognize the opportunity to communicate with each other, to say what needs to be said with each other, because one of these days those children are going to grow up. And children, one of these days your parents will not be there. And that's a kind of a hard thing to say, but that's a reality. It's an encouragement to be together now, to share what you need to share now, neighbor to neighbor, neighbor to neighbor, church member to church member, enemy to enemy. Opportunities to forgive, opportunities to embrace, opportunities to to care and to serve and to minister. Paul said to Timothy, he said, go get the cloak, go get the books, go get the parchment, go get Mark, care for me, minister to me, bring what I need now because the opportunity will pass. There is a poem, it's not a Pulitzer Prize winning poem by any means. It's called Procrastination. It goes like this. He was going to be all that a man could be tomorrow. None would be kinder or braver than he tomorrow. A friend who was troubled and weary he knew, who'd be glad of a lift and who needed it too. On him he would call and see what he could do tomorrow. Each morning, he stacked up the letters he'd write tomorrow, and he thought of the folks that he would fill with delight tomorrow. It was too bad indeed. He was busy today, and he hadn't a minute to stop on his way. More time I'll give to others, he'd say, tomorrow. The greatest of workers this man would have been, the world would have known him had he ever seen tomorrow. But the fact is, he died and he faded from view. And all that he left here when living was through was a mountain of things he intended to do. When? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Come before winter. I don't know what anyone here needs to do today, who you need to see, who you need to call, who you need to hug, who you need to forgive, who you need to check on, who you need to minister to, who you need to serve. I don't know any of that. But do it today. Because even as the Game of Thrones knows, winter is coming. Would you pray with me? Eternal God who knows our past, our present, and our tomorrow. Let us be about the work of faith, which is to look up 
and look around and recognize and see and act upon the opportunities you bring to our lives. May it be so this day and may it be so in all the days yet to come. In your grace and in your spirit and in your love we pray. Amen.